Hello and welcome to Quilt Achievements Market and Cut Podcast. Your review of the week just gone in markets and an inside look into the topics that we've been discussing this week at Quilt Achievements. I'm Anthony Webb, investment manager on our managed portfolio service. And today I'm joined by podcast regular Richard Carter, our head of fixed interest research, and Ben Barringer, our equity analyst covering technology and media stocks. Good morning to you both. So last week, the great and the good from the worlds of business and politics converged on Davos for the World Economic Forum, during which we heard mixed news on inflation, guidance from the ECB about when to expect rate cuts, and we saw tech stocks led by semiconductor companies pushing the US market to all-time highs, exceeding the previous high setback in January 2022, before inflation wreaked havoc on equity and bond markets. So Richard, coming to you first, we had weakness in the gilt market last week off the back of UK inflation data, with December's CPI print at a 4% annual rate, up from 3.9 in November. Not a huge move by any means, but it ran contrary to the expectation that inflation is slowing, and it pulled back some of that optimism for the early rate cuts in 2024. We've heard you say that maybe markets got a little bit ahead of themselves into the tail end of 2023. So where does the consensus forecast for rates in the UK and the US sit after last week moves? And uh, do you think we're now in a more realistic position? Yeah, Anthony, I think we are in a more realistic position. We certainly uh, did get a little bit ahead of ourselves, I think, um, last year expecting rates to come down um you know quite so much as 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 they had been priced to do i think so now, so now you've got a situation where uh in the us we're expecting rates to come down about one and a quarter uh, percent the sort of hope that you know mark we're going to rate cut from the fed in march seems now to sort of be uh slowly evaporating and then markets are also expecting rates to come down uh, by around 1% um, in the UK as the year goes on. So yes, I think slightly more realistic. Bonds obviously off the back of that have not had a great start to the year because uh, you know we saw a big drop in yields in the last year and that's that's basically uh, now reversed. So we're kind of back to where we were uh, one month ago. And I, and I think you know, as far as central bankers are concerned, they, they are desperate to make sure that you know, they don't cut rates too early. They, they want to make sure inflation is uh, has been at least defeated or got back to sort of two to three percent target. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we continue to hear them uh, found sound you know fairly hawkish over the next few weeks. But um, surely, if the data you know does ease and inflation uh, does keep coming down, then they will get they will get round to cutting rates uh, as the year goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, we we also heard from Christine Lagarde from the ECB pushing back expectations for European rate cuts um, to some point over the summer. Um, I thought it was interesting to hear from the deputy managing director of the IMF um, again at Davos, warning central banks that this kind of over optimistic expectation of rate cuts was actually making it harder for interest rate policy to achieve disinflation. So the idea being that, you know, as markets price in lower interest rates in the future, mortgage rates and borrowing costs fall and liquidity conditions effectively loosen rather than tighten. Um, so, Richard, you know, a, a central bank is going to struggle with that kind of final yard of getting inflation down to 2% if markets keep expecting interest rates to fall in the following months. Yeah, there is a risk of that. It's quite interesting, really, isn't it? You know, the, the more optimistic markets become... Uh, on these things, you know, the, the more central bankers have to push back against them because they're, uh, they're, they're, you know, like you say, raising the risk that inflation doesn't come come down as expected because, uh, you know, like you say, mortgage rates 
you know, start to come down and um, financial conditions ease. So, as, as I say, that is why central bankers probably will remain hawkish until they're absolutely sure um, the job is done. I mean, I don't think you could just say, you know, that that's the only thing really going on. I mean, you, you've obviously got pretty tight labour markets here and uh, particularly in the US, you know, that's pushing wages up. Um, you know, that's that's less affected, I think, by the sort of weekly rise and fall and sort of bond yields and interest rate expectations, but is a, is another reason why, um, you know, central bank policy has got to stay fairly tight until labour markets weaken. You've, all, you've also got these things that, you know, come out slightly out of nowhere, you know, for example, like the sort of issues in the Red Sea, um, you know, around Yemen that, you know, could cause some supply issues, could you know, increase shipping costs and all the rest of it. That's pretty much outside of the control of, of, of um, you know, central bankers and won't be affected by whatever interest rates are in, in, in the UK. But, um, yeah, yeah, for sure, you know, I think uh, we're going to continue to hear those central bankers push back um, on market expectations until they think the job is done. Yeah, absolutely, Richard. There's um, some geopolitical risks on the horizon, but I think everyone's been surprised at the resilience of economic growth more broadly, particularly in the UK and the US. Um, one quote from Davos that made me chuckle was from Christian Linder, the German finance minister, who described Germany as not the sick man, but the tired man of Europe in need of a strong cup of coffee. Um, now, as it's Monday morning and we're recording this, uh, so that met metaphor did resonate. Um, but he was referring, of course, to the German economy falling 0.3% last year and the fact that most expectations for German economic growth are weak and possibly even negative for the, for the year ahead. So, Richard, um, you know, why is Germany and Europe struggling so much with regards to growth um, when it's so resilient in the UK and in the US? Well, I think a lot of his sort of tired man kind of uh, shtick was was um, around the need for uh, sort of structural reforms in in the um, in, in Germany and Europe, which obviously you know he's him and his government are are trying to you know push through at the moment. I mean, I think I mean it's interesting you said resilient growth in the UK and US. I'd say yes in the US, UK a bit less so. I mean, okay, we're not you know we're not doing we're not in recession, but uh, the you know the latest numbers we've had out in the UK were not we're not brilliant, particularly sort of retail sales and things. So although we're not in recession at the moment, it's it's possible we may we may. Um, get there at some point. I mean, I think the difference, you know, particularly with Europe versus the US is that um, uh, you had Europe was more affected by the energy crisis kind of post the whole Ukraine thing. Um, there's been a lot less uh, government stimulus um, uh, as, as well, particularly in Germany. And then you've also had some of their uh, manufacturing sectors affected by what's been going on, you know, slower growth in China. So, yeah, Europe, yeah, Europe, Germany in particular, are, yeah, they are struggling a little bit, which is why I suspect the pressure will build as the year goes on for the ECB to, to cut interest rates. Thanks, Richard. So not quite out of the woods yet for the UK economy. Um, but turning to equity markets, uh, US equities closed last week at all-time highs driven higher at the end of last year by those falling interest rate expectations. Uh, but gains in 2024 have been largely a return to strength from tech stocks, and in particular, semiconductor companies have been performing very well. NVIDIA is up 20% so far this year. AMD is also up around 18% year to date, and TSMC up 10%. So Ben, turning to you, TSMC reported earnings last week. Was there anything in their results to support these gains that we've seen so far this year? 
Yeah, morning, Anthony. Yeah, absolutely there was. Um, so I think they would highlight three things from TSMC's results last week. The first one is the guide for 2024, which which goes, which is above expectation at 20 to 25 percent growth after a flat year in 2023. And that's really driven by a recovery in the PC market, but also more importantly, data center and AI chip manufacturing really um, accelerating, continuing to grow very strongly. They said that that high performance compute would grow faster than that 20 to 25 percent. And remember that TSMC makes the chips for NVIDIA and for AMD. Interesting to note as well, though, that smartphones is going to grow lower than that than that growth rate. And so, you know, that's not great for Apple. So that's the first thing, the better guide. The second thing is that they continue to um, have a large capex budget, 28 to 32 billion. That's actually flat on 2023, but it shows the cons- the continued confidence they have in the demand for chips uh, going forward. Uh, they also talked about their transition to the next node, two, two nanometer. Uh, and so that's, again, you know, uh, positive for the semicap equipment stocks like uh, ASML. And then the third piece, I think, is they not only make chips, but they also package chips for, for companies like AMD and, and NVIDIA. Um, they use a particular type of advanced packaging called COWAS, that's chip on wafer on substrate uh, for these advanced chips. And the capacity for that, their plans doubled uh, in 2023. They are going to double again in 2024. Uh, and they expected to probably continue to, to grow even in 2025. And so that is a very good indicator for the for both uh, nvidia and amd that that the demand for those uh, chips remains very very strong interestingly tsmc actually underperformed in 2023 compared to certainly the us semiconductor index uh, and it looks particularly cheap so yeah we're pretty constructive on tsmc great thanks and some tailwinds there for the wider semiconductor sector as well um i think uh, there was a lot of talk last year of course about the magnificent seven of which in, nvidia is one um, these kind of tech stocks or you know tech adjacent type stocks that have made huge gains in 2023. Collectively, they doubled in value over the last year or so. And the more they grew, the more concentrated returns seem to become around these bigger and bigger index constituents of the US market. So in 2024 now, despite the economic backdrop so far this year not being perfect, as we discussed with Richard, interest rate expectations have been rising. Um, yet some of these tech companies seem almost invulnerable to any headwinds. So, you know, what are your thoughts on the Magnificent Seven in general? Do you look at them as a, a package of big structural growth investments in the US or maybe some of them less magnificent than, than others? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, I, I didn't I don't like Fang, MFang or Magnificent Seven because you're trying to group these businesses together. Yes, they are all large. Yes, they all um, net cash. Yes, they all will grow better than the market. But under underlying all of them are, are some quite different drivers. I would highlight, however, that, you know, despite the macro uncertainty, the one of the best macro factors I look at is corporate profitability and more importantly, IT spending growth. And although IT spending growth has come back from about 4% during COVID to about 2.8, it looks like it's reasonably stable. In fact, maybe even growing, uh, well, accelerating back to from 2.8 to 3% in 2024. And and that underpins um, some of the spending that's happening by corporates on IT. Obviously, the big areas of spend are move to the cloud uh, along with sort of digitization within that ai spending and then also cyber security and those are the things the three things that really underpin a lot of our investments in and specific investments uh, in the models um, in terms of stock selection 
just to go to to some of the year-to-date performances actually yeah it, it hasn't been all um magnificent seven this year you mentioned nvidia up 20 percent you know meta's up eight percent uh, microsoft up six google up five but then you know amazon only up two uh apple uh flat actually and i mentioned those you know slightly weak smartphone numbers uh, and then of course tesla uh, down 14, some some not great numbers out of them uh, at the beginning of the year. So it's not all, all plain sailing. I would also mention, you know, we t- talked about AMD. That's a great play on, on this AI growth. Uh, but you've also seen companies that we hold like Salesforce and Palo Alto up more up up double digits and so actually the fact that we've got you know strong positions in in amd palo alto salesforce and an underweight position in apple and also uh, a no position in tesla that really helps our performance so so far but it's early days um anthony and so uh you know we're, we're pleased with our performance so far but we're only a couple of weeks into the into the year Absolutely, early days. Um, so what, what do you think, Leo, looking forward, what should investors be on the lookout over the coming weeks in the technology sector as we get more earnings updates? And are, are there any particular concerns or risks that we should be aware of? Yeah, so uh, we've already had TSMC. Um, this week we've got Netflix, which is, you know, widely looked at for, for the, the health of streaming video. Um, we expect about 10 12% revenue growth driven by um, subscriber growth, uh, also a, a move. Remember, they are starting to do a ad-supported service, and they're also clamping down on people password sharing. On the periphery, they always get asked about their, their thoughts on sports as well, and also video games. You'll note that you can now download video games in the Netflix app. So that's all incremental to their to their growth rate. Other highlights this week are going to be, you know, SAP. That business is going through a cloud transition has very sticky customers and also has some new uh, products uh, with that are AI enabled. So SAP is an interesting sleeper sort of software business that's benefiting from AI. AI. Um, ASML reports this week and, and the big focus will be on they've had a very strong 2023 driven by um, particularly China demand, uh, but also um, some, some, you know, logic, uh, so, so processor uh, demand. This year, 24, is supposed to be much flatter as Chinese demand falls off. And we're waiting for that TSMC transition from three nanometer to two nanometer. But then in 2025, that uh, two nanometer transition is going to happen. And so growth will re-accelerate for, for, for ASML. So that's uh, one to watch. It's got a bit of an air pocket, but I think it's you know pretty strong. And then the week after this, um, we're going to have the the the, the some of the magn- more of the magnificent seven uh, reporting Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and Meta. And there, you know, to summarise, we're going to be looking at what um, cloud demand looks like within that. What AI demand looks like, obviously their capex budgets, and then of course how uh, they're managing margins because one of the big um, benefits of these uh, these magnificent seven these large tech companies is actually they're very big. But they've actually been very agile on cost, and that's that's driven tremendous margin profitability and free cash flow upgrades through last year. So, you know, one of the reasons the, these stocks worked is one, they're big, and so they are beneficiaries of AI because they've got a lot of data, but also because they are agile and have been able to deliver very substantial free cash flow when other areas of the market have not delivered. In terms of, of risks, yeah, always very important. You know, I always sound very bullish, but it's it's all about being professionally cynical and what could go wrong for some of these companies. IT spending, we watch very closely and making sure that that is 
um, not deteriorating. I think, you know, there are some very high expectations and let's make sure that, you know, those expectations are either meet uh, meet or, or beaten. Um, and then the other area that I always look at is, you know, what other sectors could take over from the leadership of the market? You know, if uh, IT fundamentals start to roll over, but maybe oils or financials or, or, or energy um, comes back into the fore, then, um, you know, that could lead to some tech underperformance. But so far, so good. But, you know, we're early days, as I say. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, Richard, as well. Some fantastic insights there. And great to hear from Ben, those pockets of opportunity for investors despite perhaps the slowing economic backdrop uh, in the UK and Europe. Uh, so hopefully some food for thought for our listeners. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If today's podcast has prompted any questions that you'd like to put to Richard or any other member of the research team, please do get in touch. You can click the Contact Us button on the weekly comments page on our website, www.quiltachieviot.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, so that you don't miss any future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you're listening on or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening. Goodbye.